Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. This is a podcast based on international politics. Intrigue, murky waters. We get to the bottom of it and clear it all for you. Dr. Keith Souter is uh, an expert, renowned commentator on international relations and everything to do with it. Throw anything at the man, like anything random about the history of the world, and this gentleman knows it and can break it down. My name's Kate Mack. Let's get into this for this week, Keith. Black Swan events and the threat that they pose, we've just seen one unfold across the world for the last two years. First of all, what are they? <laughs> so the, the phrase black swan was popularised by Nasim Nicholas Taleb, who's a financier based in the United States. The original black swan event is that for the last 500 years, the Europeans have been exploring the world and the swans in Europe are all white. Then the Europeans reached Western Australia and found black swans, a sudden shock for them because they then had to realise that not all swans are white, you can get black swans. So the black swan event, therefore, has a number of characteristics. So number one is the disproportionate effect of a low-risk, high-impact event. In other words, it's one that is very unlikely to happen, but if it does happen, you're in a real strife. A good example of that, of course, in an individual's life would be running o- being run over by an automobile. In other words, the chance of your being run over are very small, but if you are run over, then it does create a high impact, may even kill you. And, of course, one of the standard examples of the black swan event, as as you've indicated, is the whole COVID crisis, that no one was predicting a COVID crisis. It's taken us by surprise. Another example of black swan would be the 9-11 attacks on the United States 20 years ago that it's very difficult to predict. And uh, we were unwilling mentally, when I say we, I really mean the Bush administration, were unwilling to be mentally prepared for that sort of thing happening. So that's number one. So it's very low risk, but if it does happen, my word, you're in strife. Number two, people are often blinded by their own worldviews to an emerging crisis. And so they don't actually see the black swan coming to them. For example, in the lead-up to the 9-11 terrorist attack on the United States, there was one person who was warning about risk of an attack on the United States from Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda. His name was John O'Neill. So he worked for the FBI. I've actually, in my talks at FBI conferences, actually run across some of his former colleagues who said he was a very colourful character particularly for FBI, where in the FBI, particularly in the days of uh, Hoover, you had to be very subdued in your dress and behaviour. So John O'Neill was a very colourful character and he had been following the problems with Osama bin Laden for several years and the incoming president, uh, President Bush, was warned by John O'Neill that there was a problem with bin Laden. And President Bush, the new president, said, no, there's no problem with bin Laden. The bin Laden family may well have been known to the Bush family. They may not have actually met Osama. Osama was one of 54 children. So 
There are quite a few uh, members of the dynasty. And, of course, George Bush Sr. later went on to work at a financial organisation that took care of some of the bin Laden family wealth. And so George Bush said, no, there's no problem with Osama bin Laden. The real problem will be Saddam Hussein in Iraq. And so he was unwilling to listen to the warnings from John O'Neill. President Clinton, the previous president, had been willing to listen because there had been attacks on Americans in East Africa and the Middle East, whereas Bush said, no, there's no problem. Don't worry about Osama bin Laden. And so John O'Neill resigned from the White House and then went to work at the World Trade Center as the head of security and was last seen on 9-11. So he was actually killed in the terrorist attack. He was the person who was warning about Osama and, and a possible risk of an attack on the United States and went to work in the World Trade Organization where he perished on 9-11. But here you see President Bush blinded by this worldview that the problem will come from Saddam Hussein. It's not going to come from Osama bin Laden. And so he's therefore was blindsided by this black swan event of Osama bin Laden attacking the United States on 9-11, September 20 years ago. A third component of a black swan event is that the risk of the event cannot be calculated because of its rarity. So every year you get predictions made about the number of people who will be killed on the roads in this state. Now, we don't know who's going to be killed and we're not sure about where they will be killed, but we do have a rough idea. And we do that based on the number of people who have been killed in the past. So we can say that an approximate figure we will have a certain number of people killed or there'll be a certain number of suicides each year. We won't know who it is, but we can say tragically there will be suicides. Whereas you cannot calculate the risk of a black swan event. They are just so rare. They're not as regular as car accidents or suicides, etc. Number four, the number of black swan events is actually increasing. In other words, the instability in the world is getting worse. So when you come across people who say, oh, look, I'm just so worried about where the world is headed, it just seems to be so uh, turbulent, et cetera, yes, they've got, they've got the facts on their side. But I thought that people have been saying that for, like, ever, <laughs> that they're worried about the world. They are worried, and people have good reason to be worried about the world, but the fact is that we are heading into a more and more turbulent era. And so people who are worried about that could say, well, we've now got more black swan events. So I'm giving people the technical term which they can use when they're talking to dubious people <laughs> who say, no, no, you're over-exaggerating, you're being unduly paranoid about the state of the world. No, the number of black swan events are actually increasing around the world. And so like financial collapses, et cetera, outbreaks of conflicts, et cetera, the world overall, okay, is becoming a little more peaceful. And overall is becoming wealthier for many people, not all, but wealthier for many. That That's certainly some good news. But you do also get these sudden shocks to the system and they come from places where you don't expect them. So that's number four, that the number of black swan events is increasing. And finally, people spend too much time preparing to cope with the old crisis. They are blind to the new risks. For example, the next major attack by terrorists could be cyber warfare or an attack on infrastructure 
such as stopping uh, the sewerage systems or water systems or knocking out traffic lights rather than attacks on aircraft. So the aircraft systems are now much more secure. You can't take guns on board. In the old days, you could. If you were flying in the United States, you can't do that now. So we've made planes safer, but we've got new areas of vulnerability opening up because of cyber warfare or the attack on infrastructure. Imagine what it'd be like if suddenly your MasterCard or American Express system just suddenly stopped. What a mess we would be in. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Sue. We're talking about black swan events and the fact that they are increasing these rare events like COVID, like September 11, 2001. There are so many examples, Keith, as you've been rightly pointing out. Yep. So so the, the, if you look at COVID as an example of a black swan, never before have governments closed down economies for any reason, let alone for a virus that few people had heard of two I mean, years ago. Isn't, it's ironic because most people accuse the governments of putting the economy over anything else that matters, you know, refugees, immigration, you know, <laughs> all of that stuff. And you've seen it come to a grinding halt. For health. That's right. And it's interesting that even in two world wars, the economy continued to tick over. Indeed, there was greater economic output because the um, armed forces were predominantly male, so they came from the factories. And so you ended up with women being recruited to work in factories, coming out of the home from their domestic duties and working in factories. There's a marvellous case study of a factory in the southern United States which employed black prostitutes. So the madam who ran the brothel became the foreperson and her staff were these ex-prostitutes who were making aircraft. So almost a sort of Rosie the Riveter experience. And they, they were very adept at picking up how to learn these machines, et cetera. So actually we had a, a, an increase in some sense of, of economic output. It's obviously difficult to calculate this, but given the, uh, the mobilisation for war rather than peaceful purposes. But it's interesting, you can look at the economic statistics of the 20th century uh, on a graph and you can't see the two world wars. The economies continued to go. Now, that's very different from COVID. It's interesting in the UK, the British government has got the world's best system of national statistics. They've been collecting statistics longer than in any other recent government. And so the British statistics go back for centuries. And the British government had to go back to the year 1709 (laughs) and the Great Forest to identify a time when there was just such a dramatic decline in economic output. So in the year 1709, so that's 300 years ago, there was a a mini ice age that, that for one year swept across Europe. The British had recorded all of the details and that is called the Great Frost of 1709. And the economy ground to a halt. In those days, the British economy was still agricultural based. There was very little manufacturing. And so farming just ground to a halt. And that was the core component of uh, the British economy. So the British had to go back 300 years to find an equivalent black swan event to the one that we're, we're living through with COVID at the moment. And so COVID has also been unique because we had the great flu pandemic of, say, around 1919, 1920. But that didn't cause an economic crisis. 
and the 2008 global financial crisis didn't create a public health crisis. So we've got both now. Public health crisis, luckily we've been quite spared in Australia, but it's been tragic what's gone on in the United States. And also there's, there's an economic crisis as well. Nature creates viruses, humans create the pandemics. In other words, the viruses come out of nature, they come out of animals, and I'm always suspicious of bats. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think rightly so. <laughs> They've been responsible for a few corkers. Exactly. So nature creates the viruses, but it's the humans that create the pandemics because they move around the world. So if you go back to, for example, 1665, which is the plague year that Daniel Defoe, who is the author, wrote Robinson Crusoe, but he also wrote a nonfiction account of the plague year, 1665, uh, where he interviewed people who were alive during that year. That plague, bubonic plague, arrived from Asia on board ships. So it was the humans that carried the plague out of Asia into Europe, particularly into London or Britain. So that was the plague year, 1665. Or you go back to 1348, another plague that swept through Europe, wiped out a third of the population. That, again, originated in Asia, but it required humans to carry the uh, fleas and the, and the rats on which they travelled all the way across yeah. the world into to Europe. So humans create the pandemics. It's nature and it creates the viruses. So I'm, my own feeling is that there's going to be no quick return to large international travel because I think people are going to be hesitant about flying We've still got problems, I notice, with the UK and, and EU over mutual recognition of each other's vaccine passports, all sorts of technical problems delaying transport even within Europe. And, of course, Australia is largely isolated from the rest of the world. So COVID is a black swan. But let me also just comment on another potential black swan, which is that we could be moving into the roaring 20s. So let's assume that we continue to make progress with vaccinations. We then managed to learn to live with the disease. We're not going to eradicate it. That's what Australia's been trying to do for the past year and a half. And clearly we can't eradicate COVID. So we need to learn to live with it, which means we've got to be vaccinated. We've got to pay attention to social distancing and all the rest of it. But then once we've got COVID under control, we will have this pent-up demand from a year and a half so I think we're then going to have a roaring 20s because suddenly people are going to say, I'm going out to buy clothes. Well, for a start, I've got to go out and get a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> Along with everyone, Pete. <laughs> Along with everybody else, we've got to get our hair done. So my guess is that we could actually be looking at a boom for later in the next few years, So, which again itself would constitute a black swan because um, – here I am warn, you know, warning about keeping an eye on for the roaring 20s. So the roaring 20s will come off the back of this economic recession to which we've been subjected for the last year and a half. It's all fascinating. Thank and, you. And, black, and blacks, just be clear as well before we go, that black swan events don't have to be all negatives, do they? No, no, they can be equally positive ones. I think if we do move into the roaring 20s, that'll be great. Now, an environmentalist might challenge that assessment because he'll be saying, ah, more pollution, et cetera. But I'm just saying for the ordinary person who've endured poverty for the last year and a half, we may well have a, an economic boom coming. Dr Keith is always enlightening. Thank you. 
Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Souter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.